This is the Tame Aperture Podcast. Open the pod bay doors, Cal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Welcome to the Tame Aperture Podcast, where we talk all things movies from first-time directors to indie, art house, and much, much more. You can join us at www.tameaperture.com for previous episodes and to give suggestions on films to watch for upcoming episodes. This week on the podcast, we talk the 1985 film and directorial debut from Tim Burton, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, starring Paul Rubens as Pee-wee. When an eccentric man-child gets his beloved bike stolen in broad daylight, he sets out across the U.S. on the adventure of his life. I'm Gabe Vienendahl, filmmaker, film instructor, and movie enthusiast, and I'm joined virtually by editor and movie enthusiast, Alan Martindale. Alan, how the hell are you on this virtual night? I'm, I'm good. I'm bunkered up. I got beer. I got lots of food. Uh, the toilet paper uh, situation is dwindling a little bit, but I'm not going to panic yet, so I, I'm hanging in there. We got lots of movies. If you do an early enough visit to the store, you might get lucky. I, I've been asking every time I go in, they're like, no, you just missed it. But I'm glad you're safe. I'm glad you're healthy. And here we are doing our virtual, our first virtual podcast for Tame Aperture. This is a, this is new. This is interesting. Yeah, this is this is cool, man. I have to say it's cool, but at the same time, it's not, I like I like being with you in person and talking about things one on one. That's a little more more you know fun. But we'll make this work. So I'm excited. So we we talked about doing this one for a while. This is uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Now this is kind of a this is a first time film from Tim Burton, huge director. Yeah, and actually, I'm glad we're doing it this week because with all the crazy stuff going on around around the world, it's nice to just have something dumb and fun to kind of to look to look at, and something also that was, I think, from your childhood too. It was definitely from my childhood. I mean, I vividly oh, yeah. remember how badly traumatized I was by this movie. Oh, I mean, it, this thing just wrecked me as a kid, and but I watched it over and over and over again. Try, I think I was trying to conquer it or something, and. Uh, it's still going back and rewatching it. It kind of it brought back all the all the old feelings. Like I remember exactly where I was when I saw Large Marge for the first time, or when I saw the Evil Clown Doctors. And it, it's this thing is wild, man. It's dark. It's got some bizarre twist to yeah, it, for it, sure. And those dream, you know, what I find interesting, those dream sequences, like you just mentioned, are just they're crazy, but they're also really well done. They are. Well, mean, you, they, and that's where you can you see know, Tim Burton. Time. You can see the future of Tim Burton right there. Yeah, yeah, his his ability to kind of create a, a an abstract world, right? For sure, right? Um, so yeah, I mean, similar to you, like I grew up with this. I mean, this came out in '85, so I was five years old. I recall seeing it, of course, later on, probably when it came out on VHS, sometime in the late '80s, like '88, '89, sometime in that. Probably right in that same time when uh, Pee Wee's Playhouse was on the air, right. And I used to watch Pee Wee's Playhouse every Saturday morning. Oh, me too. Like that I re- Yeah, yeah. And that was, and you watched that. I haven't watched it recently, but I just, thinking about it, I'm like, that's kind of a, a very eccentric little uh, kid show. It, it, it is. It's, my daughter watches it all the time. It's on Netflix. She loves it, man. She's eight years old. She loves it. She loves Pee Wee. So I showed the her. The originals. The originals yeah, the, are on Yeah, Netflix. yeah. They're all, they're all on Netflix. So she watches them constantly and. So, of course, I showed her Pee-wee's Big Adventure, and she loved every second of it. She was not nearly as traumatized as I was when I saw this at her age. Not even close. I think kids today, they've seen a lot more than we ever saw by the time they're 10. So, I kind of watched her to see her reaction, and I said, was that scary? And she goes, meh. I don't know about you, man, but when I was a kid, Large Marge scared the literal shit out of me. It was terrifying. it's memorable. Yeah. Like it's, it was a thing you would talk about with, with people. Right. Like your kids, the kids at school. Right. Right. And large Marge was a real thing. It was like everyone knew large Marge yeah. and the reference to large Marge. And we were all, yeah, there was a little bit of, uh, fearfulness around that for sure. It was, it was spooky. It was super it was spooky. spooky. Super. Spooky. Tell me what. So besides being traumatized as a kid, wh- when you, when you rewatched it this time, what was your, what was the feeling, the walk away? Did you, did it bring back those memories or did you just, when you watched it, like what was the, 
the cinematic approach to it. Uh, well, it definitely. See, I had no idea that Tim Burton that this was Tim Burton's first movie. I just I had no idea. I had no idea that it was co-written by Phil Hartman. Yeah, I didn't know that like, either. Like this is all this I was didn't know all Phil Hartman was involved. Actually, the character of Pee Wee was co-created by Phil Hartman, which is it was crazy to me. I had no idea, so it, it did kind of change the way I watched it, just knowing that some of these big talents were involved in this dumb kind of kids movie. But once yeah. once I got into it, once we got past the whole point where he's at home and he's running his errands, and you know it's just dumb kind of Pee Wee stuff, and it actually got into the story of him you know losing his bike that's when i kind of lost myself in it again and i i felt like i was you know eight years old again watching this for the first time it, it, i actually enjoyed it and there were some things that i laughed at that i never i never would have laughed at like there's something about when he says when he goes over to francis's house and he's and the guy the guy tells him he, he's taking his bath and he goes oh yeah where's he hose where are they hosing him off it's just the way yeah. he says that where? just kills me it's just like a dumb little joke but he is like the size of an elephant, and that's where he'd be out in the backyard being hosed off. It's just something about watching it as an adult. I appreciated it in a different way, for sure. He's he's got some good one-liners for sure. He totally does. It's like some good one-liners yeah. in there. Where are you? Yeah, I mean, I think that what I found interesting, like rewatching this again, one of the things that stood out, and and we have neglected to mention, is the score from Danny Elfman, and. I was thinking about it. I was watching it because I still think Burton puts together a good film. Like if you look at how it's constructed and the, the build of it and how the structure of the story is and the world that's created, like uh, done really well. But when I was watching it, I thought, what if you were to strip away the score? Because the score for me on this rewatch started to become even more significant than it ever has before. And I thought, what if you stripped that away? Would it carry the same tone that it does? And I kind of think that it wouldn't. I kind of think that it just, those little, the way that he puts the music together in the, in, and, and you, when you watch this, like music's heavily used, mm -hmm. like to really elevate the emotionality and kind of portray what the characters are thinking and the story uh, progression. Like all that stuff, like the he the music is heavily influential on how you're perceiving and feeling the film. For sure. So I th I thought I thought man if they if man if they stripped this thing from his from his this score from from the movie I don't know that it's quite it doesn't resonate it's not as it's not as powerful because there's there's a lot of movies you can watch right I think that you go man the the music's just uh, it's playing second fiddle. So it doesn't right. have it, it's there and it's and it's fine, but it doesn't carry any any weight. Uh, if it wasn't there, the movie would still be just as good. And I think I just this rewatched allowed me to go, man, if they stripped the music, I don't know that they, a lot. I'm not saying it would be bad. It still would be good. It'd still be a good movie. But though the the quirkiness of it and some of the stuff that music helps sell that so much. Oh, I agree. Well, and it's it, you even have to look to, to Tim Burton's next film and Danny Elfman scored it, too, was is Beetlejuice. I think it's the same thing with Beetlejuice. I think it's the same thing with yeah. a lot of his movies that I'm not sure. Yeah, like Even Batman, like without the score, how it is, it's a totally different picture. It's, I don't think it's nearly as effective or nearly as good. I agree. Those are he's I think. uh completely if you look at and an elfman comes i think he was part of oingo boingo wasn't he he may have been i think he may have been he, actually i think he was an artist a musician before being a composer and a music uh, uh composer and i think he was part of the rock band oingo boingo i think he is and i'm I, gonna look yep yeah, yeah he was i'm kind of trying to look it up but i yep. can't read and so oingo boingo Anyway, this is also kind of the beginning of a great partnership. You kind of mentioned and alluded to like Beetlejuice and some of Tim Burton's subsequent films, and like Elfman's hugely influential on all those films. That his his scores are in every single one of them. Yeah, yeah. That's why you got you got to find the talent. You got to attach yourself to it and just hold on to it, man. And utilize. Man, it. how how lucky for both of them. Seriously, like one like Seriously. That, those partnerships become hugely important. For sure. Well, and of course, Danny Elfman did 
the theme to the Simpsons, which is the greatest TV show of all time. So I, I now you're bringing the, I can't I knew you'd find a way to get the Simpsons. I, I have into to it. like I can't think Every of Danny time. Elfman and not think of the Simpsons uh, uh, theme. Well, it is the most. I mean, I think one of the most recognizable yeah. TV scores in history for sure. Um, but anyway, that was one thing that resonated with me. And in terms of, uh, but I, what, you know, looking at it, I'm always kind of, we, we've been doing this a while now. So this is episode 26. And each time we kind of look at it from a first time director, I always go, okay, they got it or they don't. And we've talked about this in the past where you can watch the film and go, what, what I thought Burton does well is his, uh, the ability to move the camera, the ability to, you know, keep continuity among the shots, like kind of the technical stuff, but he does it really well. And on top of that, he throws in these abstract, eccentric little pieces that are him. Right. And right. those little, those like the claymation. Right. Right. Like that, like the claymation with the T-Rex eating the bike and he's having <laughs> like being able to like incorporate like those are story beats that like he's having a nightmare about his bike being destroyed by a T-Rex that he was just in in real life with this girl, Simone. So it's like, I don't know. I just loved how he kind of incorporated a fantasy claymation world with the real world. Right, right. And you could really, I think you could screw that up, but he does it in such a fun way. I think he makes it work. Yeah, he's really good at that kind of stuff. And, and you see it, obviously, throughout his entire filmography. But he's, it's, it's cool to see it present even from the beginning. I mean, when you think about it, this is kind of a strange movie because a lot of the other directors we've talked about, on their first features, they're, they're kind of statement films. Uh, whether they're successful or not is always debatable, but they're kind of statement films. And this one is, it almost feels like uh, just a, an uh, any man, like just a gig to get a gig as a director. But it, it, it's, it kind of, I mean, it's, I think it's almost supposed to be a dumb kids film, but it's almost too good for that, if that makes sense. It starts off that way, but then the story gets really good. And there's a lot of stuff for kids in there, obviously, but, the the dark stuff is just so it's just done so well and looking back i understand why it was so traumatizing and why it was so weird and this is just kind of it kind of just sets the tone for his entire trajectory after this like everything he's yeah. done even I, I know he didn't direct the nightmare before christmas but even with that and the corpse bride and stuff like that um everything he's done kind of has that dark kind of thing and for him to be able to take what I assume, and I don't know, but I assume it's just a studio job and to inject that darkness into something that's actually just supposed to be a, like a kid's movie, I thought was pretty, pretty well done, pretty impressive. And I, I don't I don't know if he if he hadn't done that. I'm not sure there's a Pee Wee's Playhouse. I'm not sure Pee Wee goes on to make the other movies. I'm not sure he becomes a thing really after this. No, I think that's pretty a pretty good assessment of it. And it is interesting. Like, I think. It's easy to write, a f not easy, I should say, but easier to write a film that's just pretty straightforward. Because if you look at the story, so this story is basically about a guy who's obsessed and in basically in love with his bicycle. Right. <laughs> in love is very right? is a is a tame way of putting it. And uh, well, yeah, <laughs> and and then that that thing is stripped from his life. It's stolen, and his pursuit, his pure his entire goal in life his entire objective is to find the bicycle right i was doing some research because so you're right i mean that's a pretty straightforward story and i think if you were to read the script you know I, i'm always curious on whether how much of those fantasy dream sequences were actually written because mm -hmm. it, it might have just said peewee has a bad dream about uh, losing the bike right and then someone's got to inject their spin on that like you were mentioning and tim burton's the perfect guy to probably do that and put that spin on mm -hmm. it and make it claymation or make it the the devil's dancing around in a theatrical kind of setting those kind of things are are what like you said make it i think you eloquently said it but it, it's what makes it kind of palatable for even uh adults or like bigger bigger 
you know, people beyond the 12 years old. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know? So, I mean, do you, evil clown um, doctors, like, yeah, you know, like who, who comes up with that? It doesn't seem like a Phil Hartman, you know, uh, idea or a Paul Rubens idea. Like if you watch Pee Wee's Playhouse, that's a straight up kids show, like a hundred percent. There's no adult stuff in there. And so, I have to, every time you say Pee Wee's Playhouse, I have to say, make a like a high, make yeah. a honey, honey. <laughs> Jombie, Jombie, the floating yeah. genie head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Every time I, what is it? Every time that's in my head, Yep. but I digress, but, but no, I think you're right. And, and, um, you know, it, it probably was just kind of a stu- it, 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 I kind of get that and we don't know and we, we wouldn't know unless we asked, but I think that that's a pretty good, uh, uh, guess, which is like, maybe it was just a studio gig and then you're able to take that and inject yourself into it, uh, to try to, to try to showcase who you are as a director right that's a hit or miss too that's a hit or miss because you could take that that leap of you know and and you can fall flat on your face it's a fine Um, line i mean tim burton's always done that pretty well though where he he can kind of toe the line of darkness but it's still family friendly he's you still have that 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 endearing kind of family heart right warming kind of piece to it right uh and you're right and most of his films have that he injects both of those worlds pretty well so, no, I think that's a good, a good assessment of it. I think that um, the other thing for me is, is uh, <laughs> the, what, of course, makes it beyond, I think, a good directorial debut is having an actor like Paul Rubens. <laughs> I mean, this is a character that he's, I guess, co-created and, and, of course, or primarily responsible for. I mean, because he's the actor, he's... He's carrying a lot of that weight, right, or most of it. Right. Um, but this this is another swing to the fences. It is like Bert, Burton swings to the fences in his direction, and Rubens swings to the fence because this could fall flat on his face. Oh, easy. I mean, it. it and it was I, from what I understand when when Rubens started off doing Pee Wee, it was more adult oriented. He had like an HBO special, but I think when he first got on stage, I think it did fail. And that's kind of what turned him in. He kind of changed the character and molded it, if I'm not mistaken, to kind of fit that. So he's kind of in on the joke. Whereas, like, he took that failure and he's like, all right, well, I'll, I'll remold it where he's very childish. And then I think he just, it just went a different direction. Did he, do you know if he, did he do stand-up comedy Yeah, in that character? Yeah, I think so. And I think the, from what I read, he couldn't remember the jokes like Paul Rubens himself actually couldn't remember the joke, so he would bomb, and then it kind of molded kind of who Pee Wee is. Now, now he kind of molded it to where that's kind of the guy. And he even had an HBO special before he even had uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure or Pee Wee's Playhouse or anything like that. And the HBO special came as a result as a stand-up gig. It was a stand-up thing, from what I understand. So was, yeah, from what I understand, it's still a swing on on a feature film even if it's kid and family oriented right. um th- it works though i think it works oh totally the eccentric nature of his character works for me i don't know how you felt about his overall performance and character but i i it, it it's it doesn't feel forced it feels as as natural as it can be for that character right sometimes you get people that they feel like they're forcing something onto you that just felt natural like this is who that guy is and he's He's crazy and he's wild. And part of that's the world that's created. Like his house is absurd. Right, right. And like all the absurdities of it, they take it to the next level. But then the actor himself, Rubens, takes it to that level too. And he kind of meets those expectations as well. I think a lot of this movie, it'd be so much fun to be in the art department for this movie. Like you look at his house, how much fun would that be just to come up with wacky shit to put everywhere? Like a fish tank in the window and a big, a big toothbrush. And I just think that'd be so much fun. Also very creative. Like you got to just, you're, there's no limits. Right, right. So you're just like, what do we do to make this thing completely absurd? Right. And like, and I think they did a great job at that. Right. Because, and you, they established that right at the beginning. I mean, his house is crazy. Uh, he pulls the tree branch down and reveals his bicycle. And like, <laughs> you're just like. The reverence I love, he has by the way, for that bike yes, is exactly. ridiculous. But that's what I love because then also they play into that. When he does 
open it up and it comes down or the, yeah, the, the garage or the hedges come up. Right. Right. It's like they make it this beautiful shot with smoke and backlighting. Right. And you're just like, okay, they're, they're putting a lot of reverence into this bicycle and they're playing into it. They're nodding at it. Right. Uh, they, they know it's silly, but they're playing into it really well. Um, but I thought overall his, his character was really, was fun. It was fun to watch. And the story, you know, is good. It's a good story. It seems like it would be um, maybe maybe too simple or mm-hmm. not have enough challenge to it in terms of wanting to watch it further. Does that make sense? Like, uh, what is, what's the questioning and how am I getting challenged by the story? But I think ultimately the simplicity of it makes it what it is. Um, I read somewhere on some little bit of research too where this was, and I was trying, maybe it was a stretch for me uh, because I, I do love film history, but they were, they were saying that part of it was a satirical nod to bicycle thieves. Oh, interesting. Um, oh. Which is a 1948 Italian neorealist film. So oh. they, I had read somewhere that the writers, like Phil Hartman and Paul Rubens, were like, we're going to do Bicycle Thieves, which, by the way, Bicycle Thieves is a 1948 Italian film about a young family and a father who is a bike messenger, and he gets his bike stolen. And it's a drama, and it's super depressing, ultimately, because it's taking place after. It's post-World War II. It, have you seen Bicycle Thieves, yeah, I assume? Yeah, And it's, it's, it's a depressing film. Right. It's not... <laughs> Uh, so what they were doing is like, what would we, what would we do if uh, we were going to make bicycle thieves, but in a comedy and a satire, and that's what they, that's, that's how they kind very of tr- interesting built the story. Because I mean, the bicycle thieves the, the entire time it's a journey to find the guy's bike. That's really yep, what it is. 100%. That's interesting. Yep, I like that. Yep. So I could see the the uh, the comparison to it. Um, of course, in a different tone, but I could see the comparison there. So I thought that was interesting. As a writer, that's an interesting approach, which is like, let me take something that is pretty simple, but in a different tone and, and, and different drama, and let me flip it on its head and come out with a comedy and satire. So, Wow, yeah, that's, that's, that's crazy. I, I did, never would have thought of it, but it fits perfectly. What, uh, tell, me, tell me one of your favorite scenes in this film. Alan. Oh man, there are what, so. I mean, there 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 is a good handful of scenes that are fun. So just let's. I'm I'm assuming that most people that are probably listening to this have either seen Pee Wee or at least they know who he is. Um, but so there is a handful of scenes. Tell me, give me one or two that like that just get you every time. I, I just uh, there's something about the way when he's on the box car with with the hobo and they're singing songs. There's something about the way how he just gets so sick of the guy singing and he just die. He doesn't bring his shit. He doesn't bring his anything he brought with him. He just die bombs off the train because he can't <laughs> handle it anymore. There's just some and it's just when he gets upset, there's just something that that really is magical about that because he's supposed to be such an innocent, you know, like child. And when he flips out, it's hilarious. It, it, to me, that's the funniest part. that that is a funny scene he's he's basically he's running from simone's boyfriend no yeah, isn't that andy. the scene yeah and he's and andy and he's running from him to get away and he spots the train going down and he jumps on and then next thing you know he's singing with the hobo what i think is funny about that too is that at the beginning he's into it he's oh, right, like i'm right, in right. and they're just singing everything they can think of and then it does a passing of time and like you alluded to after that passing the time he's like oh man i gotta he get out of here he can't handle it anymore 
and and you just see him fly off a train. And, and that's, I mean, that's the funniest part, or or the part when he's um, it's at the beginning of the movie when he's riding the bike, and he just eats shit and falls right in front of the kids, and he pops up. He's like, I, I meant, meant to, to do, do that. that. There's just something about, I don't know what it is when he's fallen or like when he's on the motorcycle and he drives right through the sign. Like there's just something about him in his little suit, like being childlike, just, just falling and hurting himself. There's just something funny about that to me. I don't know what it is. I love the setups too. And this goes back to, I think, how good Tim Burton is in setting up a scene where you have like an arc to it. Because you talk about the scene where he flies off it in, in front of the, all right. the kids in the group of kids. But before that, the, the cut of him is like he's doing his little he's uh, doing his little tricks. Right, right. You know, he's doing his tricks. <laughs> and then they show a cut. They basically show a cut to him seeing those other kids do tricks. Yeah. So he's trying to upend some other kids that he saw. And then the next thing you know, he's falling on his right, ass. Right, right. And, and it's just like good build of a scene, you know. Right. Like good payoff towards the end. Um, Oh, and then, you know what? I got to say, it, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you. My favorite scene is the scene, um, it's, it's towards the end, with the, the actor kid, the shitty oh, actor yeah. kid. Oh, yeah. I'm glad you brought that the up. The guy from The Wonder Years. And then, of course, the nun is Missy Vaughn from Peavy's Playhouse. And she's also, she's also Charlie's mom on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, which is one of my favorite shows. That's a... F- great or a great show i love that show but it's just the way they go back and forth and that kid is such a little shit i just want to punch him and everyone just wants to strangle him he's so funny though oh he's so funny he he plays it perfectly he plays it perfectly his name's jason hervey he's wayne arnold in the wonder that's right that's right wayne (laughs) which is a great show but oh yeah wonder years is a classic it is a classic and I love that he's it. He's just like, how am I? Sp- I love w- the little movie uh, homage that they have when it cuts to him and the director says, You're ready whenever you are. Doesn't it look like I'm ready? I am always ready. I have been ready since first call. I am ready. Roll. <laughs> For a movie guy, you're just like, he's a pompous <laughs> ass of an actor. Seriously. Seriously. He's one of those guys. That's it was it, that is a funny scene. Oh my god, yeah. Um, That's one of my favorites. And 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 in the story, he's the one that he got or they have the bike on set, right? I mean, that's right. where that's how they how he ended up getting there. I mean, there's a lot of like you said there's a lot of funny scenes. The thing to me is that that that, that I always I loved uh the pursuit of Dottie uh towards Pee-wee and she's always trying to uh, lure him in and kind of uh, flirt with him. And he just so, like a kid or like a kid person that's unsure about how to interact with the opposite sex or with a, anybody really, he <laughs> he's always like, he's always pushing it off. And I just liked that dynamic. I thought it was funny. He, um, he's a straight up asshole to her. Like he is so mean to her. I know, but I, and I still think it's funny. <laughs> it, it's, well, it's hilarious. And I was actually watching uh, with Jess, my girlfriend, and she's like, I think she's a sexual predator because she's like trying to force him into this thing. And she's like getting really worked up and like there's she's constantly bringing up the drive, drive it. Yeah. All right. Daddy's still working on your bike. No, had it back a couple days already. What's she doing to it? Can't really talk about it. You know, James Bond kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that Daddy, she's really radical with bikes. Hi, Peely. Say we cruise, dudes. Yeah. Sure is getting hot in here. It's steamy. I'm sweating. So is my horn ready yet? Yeah, it's ready. Should be loud enough for you now. Well, where is it? Let's hear it. Wait, I want to talk to you first. You are talking to me. No, I want your undivided attention. Look, PB, this is important. Does someone want to ask you? Mm-hmm. I... Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to know if you'll do something. What? I want to know if you'll go someplace with me. 
Like where? The drive-in. Look, Daddy, I like you. Like? I like you! That's the thing, I like you too. Daddy! There's a lot of things about me you don't know anything about, Daddy. Things you wouldn't understand. Things you couldn't understand. Things you shouldn't understand. I don't understand. You don't want to get mixed up with a guy like me. I'm a loner, Daddy. A rebel. So Pee-wee's now traveled. His bike's been stolen. He's traveled on the train all the way to some place in the, the desert in California. And then he ends up getting on a train and going to San Antonio, Texas. Because he thinks his bike's at the Alamo. <laughs> <laughs> well, even that, like when I was a kid watching, like when he goes into the fortune teller, because he's desperate at this point, and he misses his bike. He doesn't know what, where to turn. I never caught when I was a kid the little the little uh you know red flags with, with the fortune teller and the little the little trick she does where she's a total fraud i never got yeah. that like i had no idea back then and so yeah. it, it was actually it's it's i think it's that whole scene is done really well it is and then it also alludes to the fact that this is a man child and he's completely gullible enough to right. f- to fall for those things that she's saying enough so that he ends up in San Antonio, Texas at the Alamo thinking that's where he's going to find in the his basement, bike. right? Right. In the basement of the Alamo and then he gets made fun of cuz there is no basement of the Alamo. And even that part, um, like even when I was a kid watching that part when they're laughing at him because there's no basement at the Alamo, that's that was a little traumatizing too, man, because I don't know, like I I'd ask questions in class and get laughed at. Like it's it sucks. It's 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 embarrassing. It's hard it's hard for your self-esteem. Poor guy, man. I think they the more that we kind of go over some of these scenes, you, you start to realize how good they were at portraying that childlike innocence right, right. Uh, of somebody who's believable, that believes enough to, to what other people tell them that they're going to go try things and ask things that that uh, and he does get made fun of when he walks out of the Alamo. It's like it's so disheartening. The music, once again, there's he walks out and there's this right. shot of him walking out and he, it's just completely disappointing. It really is. There's no no bike and there's no basement. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I also love how they handle the tour of the Alamo because they really capture just how god awful, boring and tedious it would be, especially if you're trying to get towards the basement, you're trying to get to a certain spot and it's going on and on and on. And she, what did she say? There's like, there's thousands of things you can do with corn, all of which I will explain to you right now. Like, it's just, it, it's just so tedious and so boring. And I thought they captured that really well. Yeah. After he leaves, though, I love that he, he gets, uh, he goes to the payphone, and he calls uh, Dottie. Then this was a, this was a funny scene to me. He calls Dottie to try to wire some money for a bus ticket. And she says, I'll do it. And then she's all, and then we'll settle it at the drive-in when you get back. <laughs> See? Look, she, she won't give up. She won't give up. But this is where he's funny because he, then he's like, what? I can't hear you. Static, you know? <laughs> he's like, she's, I just think that those little interactions with Dottie are pretty, pretty. they're silly, but they're fun. And yeah. I think they're, they're, they're fun to watch. Yeah. So I always kind of liked like that dynamic. Um, and then... I think uh, the other scene that kind of that kind of stands out for me, which I think you were alluding to some of the traumatizing scenes. The one that was traumatizing to me is when he first pulls up to Dottie's work. This is a be- more at the beginning of the film, and he's he's going shopping. First, I love the magic tr- uh, uh, store when he oh, goes yeah. through the magic store. Yeah. It's just fun, like they're right, just, right. And then he goes to get his his horn for his bike. <laughs> You would think that you would think that like that was and it is for him. It's the most important thing in the world that he gets that horn fixed and he gets it fixed right yep. and it's and it's perfect when in perfect uh, working condition. But uh, I, this is one I remember as a kid being traumatizing is when he left that bike store and he goes out and the way that they film it, you see his feet walking towards it. You hear the music escalate. Yep. Then all of a sudden, I love how they do it here. He looks up, the bike's gone, the big chain that he's pulled out, the absurd chain, is all cut off. His bike's now stolen. And the the canted shot, the Dutch angle yep. of the clown, and then cutting back to him, and then the, they're just he's playing with the camera. 
back and forth and it's just this disorienting like you feel it you're like oh man his bike's stolen yeah it was it really what because this this isn't i mean yeah if you get your bike stolen it sucks but they really instill how heavy this is to him and how terrifying it is yeah and and props to burton i think again for hitting those little those plot points with with real kind of professionalism like i think he did it really well and even um, that clown statue, he he did a good job and of that making clown that was, look evil. It look that's what it stood out is it looked so creepy as a as a seven yep. year old eight year old kid. Yep. I was like, this is creepy. Yep. So, I mean, so many scenes. It's a fun film. I mean, it's done well. I think uh, you know, it's 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 uh, definitely a rewatchable, right? Something that you can you can see multiple times. Like I don't think I I don't think I've gotten tired of it if that may i i think i can rewatch it i mean if i wouldn't watch it over and over and over again like maybe i would when i was a kid but i can rewatch this and still have fun every time oh for sure for it, the, the first act is is a little I, a little little dry yeah it just it feels like a kid's show like it feels like a kid's movie and i was when i when i started watching it again i was like oh man this is gonna be this is going to be kind of boring. It's going to be made for kids. I'm not really going to like it. But then once I got into the story, like I said earlier, once I got into the story, I was just, I was sucked in right where I was when I was eight years old. Give me uh, your, your overall summation and give me a rating on this film. Uh, well, first of all, let me say one more scene that traumatized me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Please do. And this is, and I, I can pin, now that I went back and rewatched this, I can pinpoint where one of my biggest fears came from. I am... I have an irrational fear and hatred of snakes. Like, I can't stand snakes. I think they're unnat... Like, anything that lives on the land and doesn't have legs is not natural. It's not of this world. They should be killed and burned. It's terrible. <laughs> like, it's horrible. And I think I can trace it back to this movie. Because when he's in the pet store and he's saving all those animals, and he's, oh, yeah. and he's looking at the snake cage, and he's bypassing them, and then he comes out and he just freaks out, I swear to God... That makes me just, oh, God, just like when I was young. And I think that's where I, my fear of snakes started. It didn't, it, so you, it didn't solidify them, but I think that's where the seed was planted. You're, you're blaming Paul Rubens and Tim Burton for your fear yeah, of snakes. Yeah, it's their fault. 100% their fault. I, 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 I'm, I'm dead serious about this. I don't think I would have – I might not like snakes, but I don't think I would have the irrational fear I have of them if I didn't experience this childhood trauma at, at such a young age. I'm trying to think if I even have, I always find it interesting when people are, I mean, I'm like the boy who left home to find out about the shivers. That's who I feel like I am. I'm like, I never have, I, I don't have any that I can think of fears. Like I do have fears, right. but, but I mean like things like that, like paranoia is about spiders and snakes and things like every, I don't, ha like I don't, you don't have any at all. I, I probably do, but I'm just saying, like, I can't think of any off the top of my head. And so it always, like, intrigues me when people go, I, I'm absolutely frightened by this thing. Oh, yeah. Because I, I can't think of one off the no, top of my head. No heights, I mean, no, nothing like that. You know, I, you know no, what, what is interesting is that, like, heights, not until maybe, like, a few years ago. So as a kid, if that, that's actually changed. Like yeah. as a kid, no fear of heights at all. Right. Zero. Teenager, zero. Even in my 20s, zero. All of a sudden, like, I don't know that it's a fear, but there's a little more cognitive, like, oh, this yeah. is not a good situation to be in. Dude, yeah, dude. Like now, nowadays, if I go on a ski lift, I'm, I'm like, I'm nervous. I didn't used to. I would jump. I would bounce around on those things. I'd like hop from seat to seat. Back in the day, but yeah. man, if I'm up there now, man, I'm holding on for dear life. It's scary. Yeah, that 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 is scary. That is scary. Claustrophobia is now, another one too. Now we know to. Yeah, if it, if it's long enough, I can sit in a tight spot for for a while without. If it was hours, I would be pissing my pants. Uh, have you ever seen the descent? Yeah, where the, the cave one. Yeah, the, the cave, cave one. Movie? We watched that yeah. the other night uh, in quarantine, and man, there there are some scenes there where I was that, feeling claustrophobic. That's different though, because well, it's not different. They're dumbasses, and they put themselves in that right, position. Right. So I'm not. I'm. I don't have as much sympathy usually. <laughs> with <laughs> just let the monsters well, eat them. 
one that got me was uh, what was it called? Buried with Ryan Reynolds. Oh, I haven't seen you know? it. That's on my list though. And it takes place in he's in in basically a coffin sized area. Oh god, that would stress me out so bad. Um, and that kind of got me the willies. Like that was like, and it was also because he didn't put himself there, right? Right. He got put there. So there was more sympathy for me, like, oh man, this guy's in this situation that he didn't, he couldn't control. Right. Um, but uh, well, let's get back to to Pee Wee. Tell me your rating on this, uh, and maybe kind of a, a summation. Uh, okay, so obviously there's a lot of nostalgia going on. I almost wish I w- would be able to watch it without having that nostalgia to see objectively kind of what I would think of it. But I can't separate that from from my past so uh i'm definitely you know there's a lot of nostalgia but i appreciate it on a much different level than i ever did as a kid uh i was definitely brought back to how i felt watching this when i was you know eight years old but there are other things in here it's not like some other kids movies where there's a lot of you know adult innuendo and stuff like that but seeing twisted sister i mean that and they're singing you know you're gonna burn in hell that's awesome man that that's awesome I love that. That is awesome. And uh, I had no idea who Twisted Sister was. Elvira's in this movie. I don't know if you knew that. She's the uh, the the lady in the biker bar. Oh, really? Yeah, that's Elvira. The one that's like, let me take handle yeah, first yeah, or whatever. Yeah, she that's says. her. Yeah, yeah. So, like, there's a lot of cool stuff in here that I really enjoyed. It's cool seeing Phil Hartman have a cameo uh, as a reporter at the end there. Um so there, there's just a lot of stuff. I appreciate the talent behind it a lot more than I did. And as is often the case on this show, I was coming in with one rating. And after talking about it, I actually, even though it was kind of a, a quick discussion, I actually appreciate it even more than I did. And I watched it, you know, a couple hours ago. So um, you're fresh. You're I'm, fresh I'm very watch. fresh. Yeah. So I, I'm going to say I'm going to give this a, a fairly high rating. And again, Nostalgia might be playing a, a part in this, but I'm going to give it a seven seven point eight uh, bicycle horns. Oh, he's coming in with a seven eight. Yeah, that, that's a, right. that's a high that's a high that, one. But I really enjoyed me, it. I was going to say for you, I feel like for me that could be a relatively normal score. Right. For, for you, that seems on the higher. It's end. on the higher end. Yeah, it is. <laughs> well, I wasn't trying to make the conversation shorter by any means. Oh no. But um, I, a couple trivia pieces and chime in if you've got some that I don't, yeah. I'm sure you do. Uh, but I'll just go through a couple pieces of trivia. Um, one that I found interesting was that there was, uh, approximately 10 to 12 bicycles built for the movie. Oh, wow. Um, really? So they had, yeah, the different, the different props. So they had 10 to 12 different ones. There's one that is interesting about Paul Rubens. Paul Rubens was sick from the flu when he filmed the return to the bike shop after his bike is stolen. Oh, interesting. So that, the that's where he what he falls comes on the ground and yeah, the where horn. he falls and honks the horn. And he mentioned that in the commentary, he says that he was, he had the flu. What, one thing we neglected to mention that was funny was when he first leaves and he gets in the car, he's hitchhiking. Yeah. And he gets in the car with the, the, the escaped prisoner. Oh my God. It's hilarious. And then when the police pull him over, and he's dressed as a, as a woman. Oh my god, it's so funny. And, and the best I thought, part. I thought that was funny. The cop just says, "Please step out of the car." I just wanted to take a look at that cute little outfit you got on. Exactly. Like, how creepy is that, man? I got some serious creepy vibes to that. that that's terrible. I thought it was funny. Um, uh, that was one. But but in the commentary, uh, Paul Rubens also said that he based Pee Wee's. Uh, Dressed in drag after his real life sister. Oh, he did. So, <laughs> yeah, I was like, okay, well, that's nice of you. Did, um, did you wait real quick? Did you when when I was a kid, I thought the Francis was a woman, and when I watched it with my daughter a couple weeks ago, she thought the same thing, and it wasn't until he's in the bath that you know he's not. But I thought he was a woman. <laughs> <laughs> And looking back, like, I still have that. I still, anytime I see that actor, and I can't remember who plays Francis, but every time I see that actor, I just cannot stand him because of this role he I, played. I didn't ever think he was a woman, but I, you know where he, he, uh, he was in Teen Wolf. 
Yeah, that's right. That's right. I don't know if you ever – I always watched Teen Wolf. As, I loved Michael J. Fox. And so I remember him from that more than anything. That's right. The two movies I remember him from is Pee Wee's and Teen Wolf, and that's it. Oh, my God. Yeah, he's very, very 80s niche. He's very 80s side actor. Yeah, definitely. Who can we get? No, but I didn't think he was, but I think that's funny. I could, if I look at him, I guess I could see that. <laughs> <laughs> um, here's a nerdy one. Pee Wee's phone number in the movie is 3548567 uh, in a departure from the filmdom's 555 ah, custom. Nice. So they didn't they didn't use the 555 custom in there. So I wonder if that's someone's real number. It could be. Um and here's the piece of research I did that we were that I was talking about earlier. The script is a nod to the Italian classic Bicycle Thieves, uh, in that the main character's prized bicycle is stolen and the police don't take the crime seriously, nor do his friends offer much help as a last resort consults a dubious fortune teller. And I'm like, that's so true. It's the same story. In The Bicycle Thief, his wife goes to a fortune teller, and it, but in a more authentic, real way, they right. really believe what she has to say. Not Well, Pee Wee does too, I guess, but it's not so silly. Um, so interesting. That's, I, the comparables are, I think, uh, are there. Um, Much better ending in this, in this one, though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, bicycle thieves, man. That, that's just a depressing movie that gets worse. Sad, it's so sad. Sad. The the ending in this is great. One thing I, well, that I did want to bring up is uh, James Brolin making his yep. little James Bond uh, appearance towards the end. And Morgan Fairchild, Pee Wee, and Morgan Fairchild. <laughs> but that's those are so for me. Like similarly, like I remember watching the film as a youngster. Uh, mostly fond memories. Um, enjoyed it, uh, and then rewatching it again, kind of, uh, kind of had the same feelings. Like, didn't I? I didn't get scared. Like, this was not a movie that scared me uh, when I was young. I know that you had a traumatized, uh, and it could have been maybe I just decided not to to watch those dream sequences. Maybe I closed my eyes yeah. and I wasn't yeah. paying attention. Um, <laughs> But this was a fun watch, and, and I think that, like we alluded to, like Tim Burton kills it for a first-time director, uh, putting together something that you would think would be relatively simple and really putting an, an eccentric spin on it. So I enjoyed it. I, I would, uh, I would I recommend it for anyone who hasn't seen it. I mean, the film is, is you know, 35 years old, um, and I think that it still holds its, its weight even 35 years later, so... It's fun. Uh, it's it's a lot of fun. I don't know if you've seen Big Top Pee Wee or the new one, Big Pee Wee's Big Holiday. They're not. I haven't watched any of the ones on Netflix. I saw that they were on there. I was curious to kind of see if they. He's, so he kind of in 2016 he, he kind of resurrected the character and they released Pee Wee's Big Holiday. I remember watching it with my daughter when it came out, but it was not memorable enough for me to remember. And Big Top Peewee, I, I, again, I saw that when I was a kid, but I don't remember it at all. So I can't imagine that it was very good. Yeah, I don't remember it very well either. Whereas this one, uh, I recollect pretty fondly. This one's unforgettable as far as I'm concerned. It, this, this is a yeah. great, great movie. I'm going to come in at a, I'm going to stay in with the sevens with you, but I'm going to go just a point six below at a 7.2. How often uh, is it that I go higher than you? Not very often. It's not often. Chainsaw, not. I know I did there. I can't remember anything else though. Off there's the top. been there's been maybe one other. I can't remember off the top of my head, but yeah, it's not it's not often. Um, but I'll say over the last few, we've come in in the same ballpark. Right, right. Uh, so I'll go with a seven point two. Um, let's see. IMDb has it currently right at a flat seven. Come on, IMBD. That's weak. Yeah, let's that's get those weak. Tenth, let's get a tenth of a point that's in there. That's super weak. Let's get it where it deserves. Um, and then Rotten Tomatoes has a uh, 87% uh, from the critics and 79% from the audience. Interesting. So still a good, fresh, it's certified. 
Um, but uh, a little, I mean, I'd actually anticipated it to be a little higher than 79. Of course, I did a 7.2, so that's yeah, it's actually lower, in all honesty. You're right there with the Rotten Tomatoes audience. I like though. it. I yeah. like it, man. Finally, I'm, I'm in line with the mainstream audience. You're finally, finally. Jeez. <laughs> this is, uh, and tell them Large Marge sent you. Yeah. T- t- okay. <laughs> so, wait, we, Large Marge didn't frighten you when you were a child. No, Large Marge was, was spooky, but, you know, it has that 80s special effects, and they're really good. Right. They're still really good, but they're, they still kind of have the fake they're still fake. Oh, like they don't, right, they right, don't. right, for sure. So, like, remember we did, a, back in October, we did Fright Night. And Fright Night's an 80s film. It's a horror film, a true horror film. Really great special effects. Some of them are really well done, and then others not as much. It kind of has that. So, like, it scared me as a kid. And maybe I'm just trying to be tough now, like 30 years later. No, I'm fine. <laughs> didn't, didn't bother me at all. I'm good. I'm good. Well, if, if you're ever doubting my ability to be scared, just go back to, ep- I still remember it, episode five of, of this podcast where we talk about Nightmare on Elm Street because that jacked me up for well, my whole that's, life. Well, that's a good point. If you, if you started off, if you saw Nightmare on Elm Street before you saw Pee Wee, I don't think Pee Wee was scary at all. Yeah. I did. So th- there you go. That's, there's my justification. Well, Freddy Krueger got to me before Large Marge I, I did. Okay? Th- that's, that's understandable then. But I do got to say, so now, the best biker gang name of all time is the Satan's Helpers. That is awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. I love that so much. The, the bike, And then when he does the dance there, too, which we neglected yeah. to mention, yeah. it's a classic Well, the, funny, classic the funniest part about that to me isn't the dance. It's the fact that he, he asks for a last request, and that's his last request, is to do a dance on the bar. And it's not even a dance. Like, what the hell is he doing? That's what he wants to do before he dies? Like, if you had a last request, are you going to jump up on a table and start dancing? I mean, he's a man child. He's so a man kid, child. Kids like to dance. I'll tell you right, before we started this podcast about an hour ago, my kids were running around all over. Oh, yep, yep. So maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe that's what kids do. And he's a man child. By the way, Alan, this reminds me of a film that I wrote with, you know, Todd. Yeah. Me and Todd wrote a film like, six seven years ago called training wheels for lemons and when i one thing i i mean it, it's nothing it's just a script that's all it is now but i it reminded me of this not in the same storyline but in the same man child-esque nature of the main character i was like this is exactly who our main character is a big 30 40 year old man child <laughs> it's peewee it's it, peewee it slipped into your unconscious brain <laughs> and that's what it that's where it came from unconsciously while we were writing it i was thinking about paul rubens and Wee herman hey i think about him all the time so we're good <laughs> <laughs> well this good this is uh the tame aperture podcast go check us out at tameaperture.com give us references to new movies go check out our old episodes and this is tame aperture gabe and allen signing out thanks everybody podcast is produced by Dutch Angle Pictures in association with Studio B Productions. Listen, watch, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and YouTube.